Warning, this episode contains brain food that will lead to improved emotional and social intelligence. Give us one hour and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen is fresh, optimistic, and purpose-driven media that promotes well-being from the inside out. Each week, Lisa spotlights diverse trendsetters and change agents who are the greatest contemporary thinkers and doers, devoting their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen, is a widely recognized applied positive psychology expert, author, documentary filmmaker, and lecturer specializing in optimal lifestyle management. Let's get to it. Here's Lisa. All righty then, let's get to it. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening wherever you are. Thanks for joining us on today's show where you will learn how to regain mental mastery and stop the self-sabotaging behaviors. We're going to help you reprogram your monkey mind for success. My first guest is J.F. Benoit, who has been counseling people struggling with addiction, mental health, and relationship issues for over 20 years. He is the co-founder of the exclusive Hawaii, a holistic dual diagnosis treatment center, creator of the therapeutic methodology, experiential engagement therapy, also known as EET, and the author of this skill-based book, Addicted to the Monkey Mind. Welcome, J.F. Thanks for joining us on the show. It's wonderful to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. I would love for you to share with our listeners what the book is about. Yeah, thanks. Well, one of the things that we've seen now, the book's only been out about three months. And what we see is we're getting so many comments that people are saying, wow, this book is so relatable. And what they're saying is they're saying that there's two characters through this book, Kevin and Elizabeth. And basically, the reader reads through their journey, but they're relating to the experiences because they're so palpable. They're experiences that we all go through, you know, relationship issues, career issues, uh, perhaps struggles with uh, substance. And there's all these things that are happening and they're finding the learnings that they're getting is that the issue isn't really the symptom, the things that are unfolding in front of them or the event, but it's really the monkey mind. And the book is about how do you shift that mindset that's been programmed and conditioned into us into an observing mind. And that in itself can make all the difference into really being a healthy human being. And when we talk about programming, we are all programmed. We're all domesticated in a certain sense through our the parenting, the way we were raised, the family unit that we were in, the dynamics that ex existed when we were young, and then the experiences that we carry forward. So this uh, programming is can be very old, or it can be a newer indoctrination. Yeah, and I think the difficulty for most of us is very few people are really have a deep understanding of how much the programming truly sabotages our daily life. So, for example, you know, we grow up with messages. Think of a simple one. You know, why didn't you do your homework or why can't you be more like your sister or your brother? Or I'll give you something to cry about. And if you saw if most people saw a video, OK, of their childhood, they would be stunned because they would say, no, you rigged this up. My mother didn't say this, you know, 10,000 times. You know? <laughs> yes, she did. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes, she did. And so we don't realize that, you know, in a way, think of it, it's like we're so sophisticated, but it's like repetitive messages like that end up forming a belief system for most people. And you can't just pretend like suddenly because you're an adult body that suddenly you're a mature adult. Yeah. Right. And that's the biggest issue that people are not able to first have a relationship with what I call the monkey mind, which is the programming we receive, the messages and the beliefs we have about ourselves that we're constantly reacting through our day, not to the situation, not to our partners, but we're reacting to the monkey mind. And the monkey mind, I believe, comes from Buddhist philosophy, right? The sort of the untamed, unchecked brain. Right. So, you know, one of the illustrations from the ancient, you know, teaching is basically, you know, the monkey swinging from branch to branch to branch to branch. And so how does it relate to thought is just that that's exactly what's happening. But what we don't realize is this monkey mind keeps swinging back to the same branches over and over and over again. Because of the programming. 
Exactly. And so, you know, you know, the partner walks home and, and, and one of the partners says, you know, you, you haven't cleaned up all day and I've just been, you know, cleaning up after yourself. Why aren't you cleaning up the dishes? And then the person will have like a strong reaction as if they were being attacked in that moment. But it's a, it's a legitimate question. But they're responding from their inner belief system, the monkey mind that says, see, there's really something wrong with you because you said you would do the dishes, but you didn't do it. Yes, the reptilian brain um, hears the message that you're somehow flawed, not worthy, done something bad, when really the commentary was just about doing the dishes. Exactly. And so <laughs> if we don't develop a new mindset, which is the, the hardest thing that people are stuck into is what Einstein said. He said, you know, you can't change, you, you can't create a different life, right? You cannot solve the problem from the same mindset that created it. So we have an operating system that's rooted in shame and fear, and it keeps repeating the same pattern. And then we use that mindset trying to get rid of it. Yeah, it makes sense. But this is logical. And when we are in the feeling space, we're not always logical. And it's wonderful that you point that out, because this is where most of us are stuck and that we don't know how to get out of it. So the principle is this, is if, if we can think for a minute that the body is actually doing the thinking for us. So in essence, if we don't have a relationship with what's going on in my body, which imagine if it's been programmed to think in fear-based and shame-based way, there's a lot of what's happening in my body that's not comfortable. Yep. And it's happening all day long. And the things that happen in my life trigger right? That uncomfortableness that was already there before I even interacted with that stimulus or that person or that event. And I think it's important to remind our listeners that feelings are not facts. Well, wonderful. And, and here's the thing. If you, there is an, an intelligence in the way we feel, like look at children, right? Look at a five-year-old. They go from mad to glad to sad in less than five minutes flat. Indeed. Right? <laughs> yeah. How is, it, how is it possible that they're just so fluid with their emotion and what happens to us? Why is it different to us when we become adult? Well, we learn to judge our emotions. We learn to repress them. You know, the message, I'll give you something to cry about, teaches you that if you cry, you're a bad person, that you're weak. And so all these different messages, you know, uh, if you don't behave, if you don't perform in exactly the way that you should be performing, then some, somehow there's something wrong with you. And so what happens is then most people, what they end up doing with their emotion is two things. They either implode with their emotion or they discharge their discomfort onto somebody else or a situation. And they think that that's having a relationship with the emotions, but it isn't. Yeah. Having a relationship with your emotion is the ability to recognize the emotion in your body, to breathe through it, and to really track it. Where is this coming from? Where is all of this energy in my body coming from? And when you develop very specific skills of breath, of inquiry, of validating basically diffuse thinking, that the thought that just occur, it's like we're hooking onto it so fast and it's reproducing the same experience I had, you know, from my programming. So having a healthy relationship with emotion is something that I found most people don't have. And the ability to welcome all emotions. So we say, yeah. okay, you know, most of us are not happy about being sad or happy about a loss. And that's normal and to be expected. However, the ability to sit with what is, is a skill. It is a skill. And we have to begin to understand that um, true happiness, you know, there's been many studies done on this, that people who are truly happy have an enormous capacity for discomfort. Yes. You know, so it's, it's kind of like, I remember just about a couple of years ago, I was going to Europe because I'm leading these trainings and I'm on a plane and I know I'm not going to see my wife and my kids, you know, and my puppies like for two months. And I get on the plane and I get this overwhelming feeling like and suddenly I just start crying, you know, and I could see my monkey mind tell me you're on an airplane. Don't do that. Right. It's just like people are going to see. And I just sit there. And for a second, I allow myself to feel this full force of this emotion. And as I kept breathing through it, breathing through it and then introducing the skills of questioning, like what is happening? Where is this emotion coming from? And then I realized that underneath that was a deep love for my family. 
Right. Yeah. And, and underneath that was the belief that somehow I needed to be present with them to experience this love. Well, is that really true? No. And so in this moment, I sat there and then a smile came upon my face where I just realized I am with them right now. I yes. am experiencing this deep sense of love for them. I'm so connected. They don't need to be there right the second. Yeah, I hear you. And I want to go back to the word addicted. The, the title of the book, Addicted to the Monkey Mind. But some of these responses that you are describing, you know, these primitive programmed responses becomes an addiction in the sense that this is what we're used to. This is the default setting. We always seek out subconsciously the same kinds of situations that elicit that response within us. Yeah. And, and one of the I think if we can begin to understand that it, it's also rooted in the fight or flight response, right? Mm -hmm. So meaning, yes. right, the original, the original source of taking care of ourselves was there's a tiger in the bush. And if the tiger comes out, I either have to flee or fight one of the two, right? What we don't realize is that today we're reacting as if there was a tiger in the bush in the situations that are occurring in front of us. Like if we're running a business and then something goes you know, you know, sideways. And then there's a, there's a threat, right? Maybe my business is not going to go or, um, you know, my partner says something and then I react in a strong way. So this fight or flight response, okay, has been replaced, meaning that the, the tiger in the bush is no longer there. Our life is not physically being threatened, but our sense of self-worth is being threatened. Yes. And the brain and does so, not know the difference. The brain cannot, cannot discern between mortal threat and perceived threat. Exactly. And so if we don't have skills to be able to recognize that and interrupt that, that sense of my self-worth is being threatened, therefore my livelihood is being threatened or my sense of belonging is being threatened, then we will continue to just keep having this fight or flight response over and over and over again. Well, it speaks to Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? That if you look at those needs in that five-tier pyramid, which the base needs are, you know, the, the, the basics for sustenance, you know, food, water, shelter, clothing, moving up, you know, connection, love, belonging, and, and you move up the pyramid to the top of it being self-actualization or self-realization. If you're always responding to life from that primitive worry of basic needs of safety and stability, it's very difficult to move past it to awareness and consciousness. Yeah. And we live in a society, I tell people often, imagine, you know, people are enamored with babies. And why is it? Because when you're looking at them, you see pure presence, pure essence. Yeah. And what happens is we're not raised in the world of essence, we're raised in the world of performance. And so what we learned very early on and through our lives is if you don't perform for me or for this person or that person or for your job or for your parents or for whoever, you don't belong. And if you don't belong, it goes back to being kicked out of the tribe. It goes back to this incredible sense of survival. And it's a false sense of safety to think that I can perform for you and then be safe because well, Right. If you walk into a room and there's there's five people there and you tell a joke, are you, is that joke going to fit for the five people? Maybe one will be offended by it, but the other won't. And suddenly you find yourself you cannot please everybody. Right. And indeed, we're going to need to take a break to learn more about the work of J.F. Benoit and his book, Addicted to the Monkey Mind. Please visit jfbenoit.com on Twitter at J.F. Benoit and on Facebook, J. Francois Benoit, and it's J. Period Francois Period Benoit. Here comes the break. We'll be right back, and that's a promise. To learn more about cultivating sustainable well-being at home and the office, visit HarvestingHappiness.com and explore Lisa's experiential on-site brain fitness workshops, corporate programming, and speaking engagement services. Talking about regaining self-mastery, stopping the self-sabotage, and reprogramming that monkey mind of ours for success. Returning to the conversation with my first guest today, J.F. Benoit. 
Let's go back to the book, Addicted to the Monkey Mind, and the movement from this monkey space to the observing mind or the observing space or the witness. Yeah. So I think one of the things that's really important to begin to understand is there's a myth in our society that the myth is if I shame myself, if I really am in a state of disappointment with what I've done, okay, that somehow it's going to propel me into creating change. And for most people, that's not conscious. So if we want to create, you know, how many people do you know who set up a new year resolution and of course never follow through? Oh, they fail. (laughs) Right. Over and over and over and over and over. And And that's an example of they're, they're rooted in the monkey mind. And the monkey mind has a way to want to pressure us to want to basically judge us for everything that we're doing wrong and then using that as a way to motivate ourselves to change. Okay, so the truth is that what actually creates change is awareness. So the observing mind can do that for us. So imagine that the doorway is actually building a relationship with the monkey mind, with your original programming. Once you get to know it so well and you develop the ability to observe what it's doing, it's very similar to realizing that you're holding a potato in your hand, a hot potato, and you're just suddenly going to drop it because you realize it's hot. Now, imagine that most people don't have a relationship with their monkey mind because the programming exists in your body. And most of us have been sort of conditioned to repress all the discomfort, but that's actually where the monkey mind exists. So imagine programming kind of like this way. Imagine that somebody's been walking into a room for, you know, 20 years and there's a dog in the room. And every time they walk in the room, they kick the dog. So 20 years later, you suddenly walk in the room and now the person wants to change everything. They want to say, wait, wait a second, I'm going to love on the dog now. So imagine that that's the relationship with our bodies. So meaning that we've been telling our body that somehow we're not okay, that we're not up to par, that we're not, you know, we don't add up. And we use that as a way to motivate ourselves. But then what starts happening is if you introduce a new mindset, that mindset that says, no, you're actually great. You can actually do this. You can actually move forward. Your body literally starts freaking out and say, wait a second, I can't trust you. Where do you come from? I don't believe you, right? (laughs) Yeah. You've been telling me all these years. Okay. So here's the skill that, that makes all the difference. I call it feeling as much discomfort as you can possibly muster in one session at a time. So the way you do this is I, we teach this at the center. It's a circular breath. If you watch all animals like a cat or a dog, you see their stomach is constantly moving back and forth, right? So what that means is if we learn to breathe from the belly, from the belly button and from the chest area, and imagine a large balloon that covers your entire torso and your belly, and you breathe in very deeply, as soon as it's full of air, you empty the balloon, but as soon as it's empty, you fill it back up, okay? And all you do is just constantly go back and forth, back and forth, and the focus is on the breath, okay? But here's the, the, the most important aspect of this, is that your monkey mind is going to start to go ballistic while you do this. And as it goes ballistic, all that we're doing is observing it. So one of the basic skill we start with is I tell people, okay, so let's do this and time yourself for two minutes. Do this as big as you can, breath in and out, do full extension, then stop. So put a timer, okay? And then write down all the thoughts that came, that came up. And then do it again, and then do it again, and then do it again, and then do like five times in a row like this of two minutes, okay? Now go back and read all the thoughts that came up and you're going to be stunned because what you're going to start seeing is there, there's a repetitive pattern of thought that just keeps coming back. And if you start looking at that pattern of thought, you can identify what are the core beliefs, what is the core programming that's underneath that. Okay. So eventually the idea is to build up being able to do the breath. 15 to 20 minutes, it's been really proven that this amount of time, 15 to 20 minutes, I recommend first thing in the morning and before you go to bed, okay? And basically, you teach yourself, I call it, uh, you know, feeling as uncomfortable as it could possibly can. So there's no... You know, that sounds awful, but it's not. I I know, doesn't doesn't it? But here's the thing, the monkey mind is there all day. 
And it's about to create a lot of drama and a lot of reaction to things which create hours and hours of conflict in our lives and stress and anxiety. And so if we actually do it consciously and we say, I have 20 minutes to feel uncomfortable right now and I'm just going to sit there and do my breath. And so it's not it, trying to introduce a new mindset that says, I want to feel peaceful. I want to feel you know, grateful or any of that. But here's what we see over and over and over is after they do their breath, we ask people, what are you experiencing? And they say, it's incredible how peaceful I feel. Mm. So the key here is that when we develop a relationship with our programming, it slowly stops having a hold on our lives. It's, it becomes like your witnessing becomes a force of nature. And then what happens is when you're at the grocery store and you're about to react to something or you're sitting in your car in traffic or you're in line at the bank, you will naturally go to the breath when you start feeling uncomfortable. That's really what you're doing is you're teaching your body to change its response to discomfort to go to the breath. And when we go to the breath, we're actually calming the nervous system. We are bringing awareness from the irritation to the breath in the moment, which 99.9 tenths percent of the time is usually okay. Exactly. And, and what we have in the next opportunity, which is basically to no longer be in a monologue with your thoughts, is you start introducing some simple questions that you can ask yourself once you've established a good breath. And what are some of the questions? Yes. So some of the question is the first one is it's so simple. Most of us miss it. Right. Is where is this discomfort coming from? And most of us don't know how intelligent we are, that we actually can identify where it comes from. Meaning, does it really come from my discomfort from my partner who says that, you know, asked me to do the dishes? Is that really where my discomfort comes from? And so usually to, not, <laughs> usually not. And we can know that one of the skill we teach, and I talk about this in the monkey mind book, there's a lot, it's packed with tools and skills all the way through as you follow these two characters that are learning to do this is that there's a simple way to develop this inquiry process with yourself and asking questions are, are very simple, but over time, if you do your breath, you will become aware of your programming and literally a thought will come up where you'll ask the question, where's this feeling coming from? And your next answer out of the blue will, will say, what is my mother doing here? <laughs> yeah, right. The mother, the father, the whatever, the grandparent. Yeah, the programming, because the key is to we don't realize that if we build a relationship with our programming and we become aware of it, we will naturally just want to let it go. We are um, almost out of time. And before we go, I want to give voice and attention to the Mankind Project, because I think this is a wonderful program. I'm familiar with it, but one that is near and dear to your heart. It is. I have been part of this organization uh, for 22 years. It's a nonprofit organization. I'm a leader in it. I lead trainings internationally. Um, it's probably one of the most progressive organizations that teaches men mature masculine and teaching them how to be authentic. And it's done in an experiential way. Um, so there's a new warrior training adventure, which is a weekend uh, that lasts, starts Friday at five and it ends Sunday at five. It's available internationally. There's centers all over the U.S. If you just look it up, it's mkp.org uh, and you can go to the specific centers. But the key here is that most men have never learned to truly trust that emotionally there's intelligence in there that um the way to you know to become a very successful you know in 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 the the man that you want to be okay is that we need community we need to feel and understand uh emotional maturity and we need to be uh, living up to the fear that we have that keeps sabotaging our lives right we need to be able to know how to break through and MKP does that. It's it's phenomenal. They're in the training. There's 45 men on staff and there's uh, that are supporting the training. These are men that I've done the training before. And there's about 32 to 42 men that go through the training. Yeah, I have uh, had friends that have gone through it and they report really 
um, miraculous awakenings for themselves. And there's a women's parallel project um, entitled Women Within, which is um, similar, but for women. Yes. And it's the path for women is is different than it is for men in terms of experiential work. I wanted the beautiful thing. I mean, my wife has done so much work on herself. Uh, we've been married for 27 years. And when she did Women Within, she came back and she said, I have never in my entire life felt held like this. And so I think this is one of the things that women really need to really in order for them to really experience their voice and their power. Um, there's there's something there. There's the nurturer in them. And somehow a lot of women have been repressed. And and I often say, you know, there are two types of leaders in the world, one that that thinks all about themselves and the other that's all about the greater good. And which one would you follow? And everybody says, of course, the person for the greater good. Well, you know, inherently, this is the energy that women carry, yeah. you know, and, and they haven't learned in this world oftentimes how to be that powerful, you know, person that actually knows how to lead because their culture is the greater good for everybody. Thank you for the work that you are doing for the greater good. To learn more about the work of J.F. Benoit, please visit jfbenoit.com, on Twitter at J.F. Benoit, and on Facebook, J. Francois. Benoit. Thanks for joining us, J.F. I wish you great success with Addicted to the Monkey Mind. Change the programming that sabotages your life. Available wherever books are sold and on the yeah, website. Amazon and <laughs> yes. all over. Thank you so much for having me, Liz. It was wonderful to be on your podcast. Great honor. Thank you. Here comes the break. Did you know that happiness is actually good for your health? Happy people live longer, are more productive, and make better partners, parents, and professionals. Connect with us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and follow Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen for a daily dose of inspiration. to the show. If you're just joining us now, I urge you to download and share this episode. Why? Because sharing is caring. It's kind, free, legal, available 24-7. And we're talking about something that we all need more of, and that is mental mastery. How to stop our self-sabotaging behaviors and reprogram that monkey mind of ours for greater success. My next guest is Todd Herman. He is an author, performance advisor, and entrepreneur. For over 22 years, his training company, Herman Performance Systems, has focused on helping achievers and ambitious people in sports and business achieve wildly outrageous goals while enjoying the process. Welcome, Todd. Thanks for joining me. I love how you started off with, all righty then. That's, <laughs> that's how I know you're a real person. So thanks, Lisa. I'm happy yeah, to be here. real and, and heroic. Make no yeah. mistake. There you go. <laughs> I got I got my inner uh, Wonder Woman, my lasso of truth. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't wait to dive in on this. Let's go. How did you unleash your own alter ego? Um, I got into, you know, well, a we all use it. It's a, just a part of the human condition. We all played with the idea of, you know, being our favorite athlete when we were a kid, and whether it was on the the front porch or the front cement pad or whatever it was stepping into that Wayne Gretzky or Michael Jordan or whoever it might be, or our favorite superhero as we're jumping off of the sofa, or, you know, when we're playing with the idea of being a nurse, an astronaut, a cowboy, like that's just a natural part of the human condition of just trying on different identities and seeing what feels good and what's right and being playful with our minds and really tapping into the one superpower that human beings truly do have, which is our creative imagination our ability to create heavens from hell, hells from heaven, that story, that narrative that you and I both geek out on, which is Joseph Campbell's stuff. He's the man. <laughs> he is the man. So I, but how I got into alter, uh, you know, stepping into and using an alter ego and really getting into the mental game stuff was I'm a, I'm someone who un unfortunately had to go through some pretty traumatic stuff when I was 12 years old and I was uh, sexually assaulted when I was at a church camp over the course of a couple of days by two men. And, you know, it 
it ruined me on the inside. You're 12 years old. I didn't know how to cope with any of that. Didn't tell anybody for 32 years until literally just a year and a half ago, the first time I actually divulged it because I was this, I couldn't keep the volcano from erupting anymore. And I had little kids and I I had said to you before that I didn't want to give them secondhand trauma, right? And I was starting to, I was like, you know, there's, I just couldn't keep it down. And it was starting to act out in the way that I was, you know, parenting being just too triggered too easily. And I didn't want my kids to have to deal with something that wasn't done to them at all. But I got into kind of tying up the story. I got into mental game stuff, literally just out of survival and just finding new ways that I could cope with what I was going through on the inside And I naturally kind of rediscovered the alter egos and secret identities. And it was a way to be more playful when I was very, when I was going through just that torment inside, when I go into the football field as a, you know, as I went off and I got college football scholarships. And when I was in high school, anytime I played sport, it was like my, it was my safe haven type of thing. It was when all that stuff didn't exist anymore. And I did, I used, um, I was not a big kid. I was six feet and like 156 pounds soaking wet when I played football. But I went out as Geronimo, which was a composite of I'm a huge Native American buff. I, I grew up on a big ranch outside of and farm outside of in the southern portion of Alberta, Canada, and where it has a rich history in Native American heritage. And I just have always had an affinity. So I built that tribe in my own head and I went out as Geronimo, which left Todd on the sidelines and I went out and played bigger than myself. Then when I got into business later on, I was struggling because I was 21. I looked like I was 12 and (laughs) was super insecure about, you know, people thinking that I'm too young or that I'm not competent or not accomplished enough. And yet I was really good at working with young athletes on, you know, kind of helping them navigate the, the inner game of sports so that they could go out and really have all of their capabilities show up and be consistent. I think what you tap into, what I really am queuing on is playing bigger than oneself, that the alter mm-hmm. ego effect helps us play up or play bigger than... We'll allow ourselves to believe that we can. Yes, yes. And I like the words that we uh, will allow ourselves to believe. Like it's already yeah. there. Like A hundred percent. The, and that's the funny thing about the, the, the alter ego or, or the heroic journey, right? The hero mm-hmm. is already there. But yeah. it's the external circumstances that give rise to the hero. Yeah. Or, or trap, I call it in, in the, in chapter three of the book, I have this framework and model to really help people just visually see how everything gets affected. And it's creates kind of like the layers of how our self gets created. But most people end up feeling like there's a trapped self, like there's a part of you that isn't getting out there for whatever reason, whether it's past trauma, whether it's imposter syndrome, or whether it's tribal narratives, I talk about these hidden forces that the enemy likes to use to keep you away from the edge of your comfort zone and keep you safe and not going out there and doing the things that you want to do. And it's insidious and the enemy uh, uses it nonstop with people. However, it's extremely healthy for all of us because we do live in a world of duality, up, down, inside, out, hot, cold. Well, it's really healthy for us to think of that context internally as well. There's this shadow self that Carl Jung coined. I just call it the trapped self and the enemy creates that. But then there's this heroic self that's waiting to be unleashed and an alter ego is a fantastic mechanism and tool that we can use with our creative imagination to help bridge the gap between where our current results are and what we know we can go out and do. And it really does, it's not about, like I said before, being fake or inauthentic. It truly is the real you getting out there. You're just playing that through a different idea in your own mind. You're channeling Geronimo or channeling Wonder Woman. (laughs) Yeah. You're, you're, you're just tapping into those powers. It suspends your own disbelief that you can do it, but you know what? Wonder Woman can. And in the end, there's this great quote by Cary Grant, the golden era actor in the 1940s and 50s in Hollywood. And he said at the, near the end of his life, he said, I pretended to be somebody I wanted to be. And I finally became that person or he became me or we met at some point. And he was someone that charismatic, debonair. Oh, yeah. Just like, carried, himself, <laughs> carried himself with exactly so much charisma. And But he struggled with depression all, a lot of his life. And he really did want to create this sort of heroic life for himself. And he created 
that version that everyone, you know, became or came to kind of know and love. And the only thing I would change about his quote is I would take out the word pretended. It's more, I activated somebody I wanted to. Because that's what we're doing. That's truly what we're doing. And I'm all of my work is always around. No, you do have the power. Do not forget that this is all inside of you. And, and while you may not think that you can do it under your current circumstances right now, what I do know is you think that Luke Skywalker can't or whatever. And that's why we love stories. That's why we connect with them. Yeah, I, the, the story sort of makes what's happening internal going on and externalizes it and creates a, a sense of belief that, yes, yes, I can do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, yeah, I and can. Or, or not even that, yes, I can do it, that, yes, they can do it. I'm just the vehicle that's going to be acted through to make that happen. It's the, the mind is such a funny place. All of the logical ways that people have tried to for decades get people to make change happen typically it actually runs counter to success. I talk about how the alter ego or the creative imagination is actually the back door to performance. Most people try to face down resistance, which can be created through like many, many vehicles, like I said before, trauma and stuff like that. And they try to use willpower to beat it. And willpower is like a mouse trying to stare down a herd of rumbling elephants. <laughs> it won't work because the conscious versus the unconscious is just an unfair battle. But the creative imagination is that magical lightsaber that we have that defeats it every single time. Most people are just using their creative imagination for, you know, a lot of times building up fear and anxiety, but you can also use it to wield, you know, a far more powerful force as well. So what are some tips for the listeners that they Mm -hmm. can immediately put into play to activate and mobilize their alter egos? Like, all right, they're going to turn off this podcast and they're going to be like, yes, I'm in. What, What do they do? Yeah. So one is you always build it in the context of a specific field of play or a stage, right? Like I have, I have a way that I show up when I'm with my kids. It's not the same way that I show up when I'm in business. Of course, we have different parts of our personality that are uh, being magnified and that's helpful for people to understand because context matters. So first thing is which area of your life are you most frustrated with? And that would be a great place to start using this tool. So that's step one. Step two is what's frustrating you about the way that you're showing up or what you're not getting and how you're, you're not acting kind of in that, in, in that field. Like if you're in, you've got your own business and you're self-employed and you're just not making the outreach that you need to, because the reality is selling yourself for many people is very hard because they don't want to quote unquote sell, but you know, an alter ego can go out there and perform for you though and do your, not bragging, but, you know, really kind of, you know, promote you for you. Do your uh, bidding, you know, do, yeah. the, do the bidding. Like if, if you were going to pitch your best friend, you could probably pitch your best friend without thinking. Mm-hmm. Right. It's easier to do it for someone else. And we're challenged to do it for ourselves. Yeah, exactly. And so that's the second thing is what are you frustrated with about how you're showing up? So then the third is, is there, then how do you, how would you want to be showing up and, or, is there someone that you admire right now that is showing up how you would like to show up? And that's an actually a very easy place to start because, you know, when we're reading books or if we're going back to, you know, serial characters that we like to kind of return to, there's something about them that we're, you know, latching onto and attaching to. It's their hero's journey that sometimes we wish that we had. Or when we're watching a movie, it's, it's us imagining that we would do the same thing in that moment. So what are those qualities? Because that might tell you who you would maybe show up as internally when you're going out and activating yourself on that stage. Like for me, for an example, I spend all my day, you know, coaching or um, uh, leading, building up programs for people. And I'm, and I'm constantly challenging people. Again, I'm working people on performance, which is moving forward, not backward. So I've got to challenge people. Well, if I brought that self home to my kids, that's not very fun. They don't want to be challenged every (laughs) single, right. And they don't want to be coached at it, but they do want that playful, fun and gentle dad to show up. But you know, when I, you know, I'm a new dad, I've been dad for six years now. And my, my middle daughter, Sophie has got this fantastic emotional bandwidth that she can kind of ride, you know, super highs and fantastic tantrums. And when she would start having those (laughs) tantrums, I would meet her tantrum with my force of being, you know, parent and it would just prolong the tantrum. And then when I thought, I'm like, Todd, what are you doing? You know, you, why not step into 
someone, something else. And immediately it was easy for me to go to Mr. Rogers. If there's someone that I could embody, that would be a fantastic vehicle to act through when I'm around my kids, it would be Mr. Rogers. And the next time she had a tantrum, even though I was kind of raging on the inside too, I got down on one knee, just like he would. I reached out, I pulled her in and I embraced her and immediately she melted away. It was, it, that's all she needed was, was that. And then of course, like any kid, she ran off. She's like three years old. She ran off and forgot about what she was screaming about. And I'm sitting there going, what the heck is going on? <laughs> this is crazy. But I showed up in that moment as my heroic self. That's what got active. I just used the vehicle of Mr. Rogers and using my creative imagination to just allow the best part of me to show up in that moment. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to continue the conversation with Todd Herman and all of the superheroes that are going to be present with us in the space. The book we're talking about today is The Alter Ego Effect, The Power of Secret Identities to Transform Your Life. To learn more, please visit alteregoeffect.com. On Twitter, you can connect with Todd at Todd underscore Herman. On Facebook, that page is Todd Herman Connect. And on Instagram, Todd underscore Herman. Here comes the break. We'll be right back. And that is a promise. Who says money can't buy happiness? Whether you are a skeptic or seeker, check out Lisa's new book. Are we happy yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life. A boot camp manual for greater emotional fitness is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Here's a truth bomb. Emotions are contagious, and happiness is a universally desired state. But we tend to forget that we all have the freedom to be happy or the liberty to be miserable each day, regardless of external circumstances. Explore the journey of human happiness, how to find it and keep it, with Lisa's documentary film, H-Factor. Where is your heart? Visit HarvestingHappiness.com to learn more. my conversation with Todd Herman about regaining mental mastery, stopping those self-sabotaging behaviors, and reprogramming that monkey mind of ours for greater success. So Todd, prior to the break, we were talking about the activation of mm -hmm. the alter ego in service and support to pushing beyond one's limits to confronting mm -hmm. fear. Let's talk a little bit about uh, the power of enclosed cognition. Sure. So I talk about it in the book. It's one thing to to kind of give people the examples, but uh, a lot of the stuff that, well, my business is based on using science and research and, you know, so that it's not anecdotal, that it's, you know, in service to everybody. And there's a psychological phenomenon called enclosed cognition, where we as human beings, we place story and meaning on the things that we wear and the things that other people are wearing. And there's this great study that was done as an example here with uh, the Kellogg School of Management, where they brought a bunch of students into a room and they had this word puzzle on the wall. And it was, have you ever seen that before, Lisa, where it has like the word of a color, but the actual word is colored in different than the word that's spelled. So it'd be like yellow, but it's in red. Yes, right? And then what you need to do is you need to say the word because the brain processes color before it processes the word. And it's actually, it's super tricky to try and do this. And they had a bunch of boxes or squares with the, you know, a single word in each one. And you had to go through and, and say it. And they timed you and they tracked your mistakes and your accuracy and the detail and all that. And so they had each student kind of go through this and, you know, track the how quickly they did it and their mistakes. Then they brought in another group of students. And this time they handed and got them to put on a white coat. And they told them it was a painter's coat. And this time they did the same test, tracked all the information, then they leave and then they bring in a third group, hand them the exact same white coat. This time they tell them it's a lab coat or a doctor's coat. And they do the test. Well, when you take a look at the results, the difference between the people who are their you know, plain clothes on and the painter's coat, there was zero difference between the two. Well, why would that be? Well, it's because when you put on the painter's coat, 
and you enclose yourself in the idea of being a painter, of being creative and imaginative, that's not going to help you do the test that's in front of you, which is a you know, methodical, careful, detail-oriented test. But the people who had the lab coat and, doc- and doctor's coat on, they made less than half the mistakes as everyone else, and they did it in less than half the time. Why? Because they enclosed themselves cognitively in the story in their own head of someone who's detail-oriented, careful, methodical, and careful. So then they did the test again. This time it was a creative test. And of course, the people who had the painter's coat on did the painting more creatively and, you know, exhibited all those skills. And the people who had the doctor's coat, lab coat on did the exact same as the people who were just in their plain clothes. Well, we then use this I use this when, and I talk about it in the book, that when we're, when we're activating that self that we want to show up, why not use clothing or artifacts or totems to help make that happen? So that kind of step in the process is, is when you think about stepping into your inner Wonder Woman, I've got a, a client who is a, a world-class equestrian rider. She has a bracelet that she uses that's very similar to Wonder Woman's. And when she, when the clasp finally snaps, that's when she steps into Wonder Woman. That's her activating moment, in, which triggers her to start being more intentional about being that state when she goes out onto the horse. I love it. You know, it's like, well, it's like she puts on the cuffs, right? So those cuffs mm-hmm. of protection. Mm-hmm. I, you know, another way of doing it is through talisman. You said totems. Um, yeah. I, I, I do give action figures, the heroic figures to clients, you know, mm-hmm. as a, as yeah. a reminder of, the, of that sort of inner, inner, re, inner warrior, inner resource. Yeah. And it makes yeah. total sense. I'm a fan of high heels. So when I need to get my game on, I need to make sure I've got like badass heels. Yeah. Cause it helps me be in my power to do yeah. that. Well, you just, if it, if it changes this, if again, the thing that unites thought, what we're thinking about and what we want with action is emotion, right? That's the, that's the bridge that connects the two. In fact, backed by science, when they've done any sort of brain surgery on someone with say, uh, Parkinson's or Alzheimer's, if they've ever severed the cord and connection between the emotional side of us and the rational thinking side of us, it's, it's shown that people fundamentally cannot make decisions. They actually can't do Mm. the next, they they can't take the action, right? So they can think about, I want a sandwich, but if there's no feeling sensation associated with it, you actually can't take the action. And so that's the power. What we're doing is we're just simply tapping into the psychological processes with some of these different tweaks and quirks that seem to be wrapped up into the human psyche that allows you to get out there. And so, you know, for me, I went out and got a pair of non-prescription glasses because when I put those on, I was doing my reverse Superman. Superman would take put on the glasses to become Clark Kent, the mild-mannered and accepted part of uh, society and be accepted by society. Well, I wanted to put on those glasses to be, you know, that super Superman version of myself in business. It does make sense. And we see it in our children. When our children dress up and play as superheroes, they feel very empowered and will, yeah. will will persevere through pretty much anything. Exactly. And there's a, I mean, in, in the book, I talk about the study that was done at the University of Minnesota on what they ended up calling the Batman effect, which was they had a bunch of four to six-year-olds in a you know, classroom and they brought in a puzzle that was unsolvable for them. And they wanted to see how long they would stick it out. Like how long would they be, uh, they give up on this puzzle that they can't solve? Uh, and, and it was to there to measure their grit and perseverance. But the interesting thing that they didn't expect was also their self-talk and how they talked to themselves when they were faced with this challenge. And it was, you know, then negative because it's like, oh, I can't figure this out. I quit. And they would go find something else. And then they rolled in a rack of superhero costumes. One is actually Batman and Dora the Explorer costumes. And they said, <laughs> you know, pick your favorite one and put it on. And the kids did. And then they brought in another puzzle again, unsolvable. And they wanted to see how long they were going to stick it out. And that's how they're measuring their grit and perseverance. It went way up. They stuck with the puzzle longer. And then when they, and when you see what their self-talk looked like, it makes sense because they would say, Batman wouldn't quit. So I'm not going to quit. Or Dora would figure it out. She'll always find a way. Right. And and that's healthy. So who is it? Who was there in the moment? Does it matter really? I mean, what matters is that they continue to act and develop a 
greater sense of self-efficacy for themselves, which then over time, if you think about that quote that I had said before with Cary Grant of, you know, I pretended to be somebody I wanted to be and I finally became that person or he became me or we met at some point, who you are right now, maybe it's not producing the result you want in the future. And think of it like two Venn diag- a, a two circle Venn diagram, you know, where you are and the results that you're not getting, but where you, what you know that you're capable of are, could be different. But the thing that can bring them together is that idea of tapping into the powers of an alter ego. And then after a while, like I did, I was sitting at my desk one day, completely confident and decisive and articulate in the way that I was working through my day. And I didn't have my glasses on. I didn't, I wasn't using them anymore. And I, so I had become that person that I most wanted to be. Well, same thing would go for those children. If they continued to, um, if they maybe were challenged somewhat with their confidence, but you continued to kind of give them superhero costumes to play with, with regards to their math or their English or whatever it is that they might be challenged with over a while, their entire self image is going to change. And they're going to grow into that other person. We are out of time, but I want to invite our listeners to go grab the alter ego effect, the power of secret identities to transform your life. In it, Todd also describes celebrity alter egos and powerful leaders who have used alter egos. And he's changed the names to protect the privacy of his clients, but all the stories within the book are true. And thank you, Todd Herman, a.k.a. Clark Kent. (laughs) 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 It's been a pleasure. to. I want to give your contact information Um, once again to learn more about Alter Ego Effect and the work of Todd Herman. Please go to alteregoeffect.com. On Twitter at Todd underscore Herman, on Facebook, Todd Herman Connect, and on Instagram, Todd underscore Herman. You have been a delight, my friend. You have got to come back and hang out because we have so much more to talk about. We do. We do. We'll dial that up. We will. All right. Here comes the break. We'll be right back. And that is a genuine promise. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen and my guests today, J.F. Benoit and Todd Herman, wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Go out and rock your day. Keep harvesting your own happiness anytime and anywhere from the comfort of wherever you are. Subscribe, listen, and share hundreds of downloadable episodes via our free app or from our libraries at toginet.com, iTunes, Google Play, and other fine podcast platforms. To learn more about Lisa's global consulting services, please visit harvestinghappiness.com. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen. Harvesting Happiness is produced in collaboration with Toginet Radio, KBUU and is available on PRX, the public radio exchange.